Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. I, uh, I generally feel nervous whenever I speak. And uh, I felt a little bit extra nervous this morning, and I was kind of wondering, like, why, why do I feel so nervous? And I think the reason is, is because I, whatever I share this morning, I don't want to do anything that would uh, get in the way of God's will for your church or for us. And so I hope I can just deliver what God's put on my heart. And uh, I would just exhort you as a church, as you move forward, whatever your decisions are, um, to press into God. Uh, there is a mission in this world. And the church is the vessel of God's blessing, and he's going to use the church. So press in. Uh, there's much work to be done. It's, it's not going to be an easy road, I can guarantee. Uh, but you look at our world today and the decay in our culture and society, um, Jesus is the only answer, and he needs you. So press in to God's mission. Um, so if you heard nothing else from me this morning, you are needed and this church matters, and you're here for a reason. You're not here just for yourself, for comfort. You're here because God wants to use you in this region, in the world. So press in, and God bless you. And thank you for having us. We have felt uh, very welcomed. I said to Liz last night, we were sort of talking, like, what do you feel? Like, what do you think? My son, my oldest son's been texting me, Dad, what do you think of Zurich? What's, what's the plan? Um, <laughs> And I said, son, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have a word from God yet. But I said to Liz, I said, uh, whatever the future holds, um, even if I just decided to move here, I would be happy to be a part of your community. I felt very welcome. Uh, and I think you've got something really exciting going on here. Um, my wife, Liz, is with me. Liz, you want to stand up and <laughs> skip around? No. <laughs> um, so we have four kids. Our oldest son is, is Judah. Our next, he's 13. The next one is 11. That's Mason. Uh, Ten-year-old next is Peter. And our youngest, our little girl, Scarlett, uh, she is eight. So um, we are a busy family. We've got three boys who are into hockey, and our, our daughter is really into gymnastics. And so we somehow find ways to stay very busy uh, with that going on. Uh, I'll say a little bit of a testimony, testimony before I, I share what I think God's put on my heart this morning, just so I can maybe get some of the butterflies out, but also you can just get to know us a little bit. So uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad's been a pastor or in ministry pretty much as long as I remember. Um, there was a stint uh, when I was a bit younger. He ran a, 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 teen, a teen camp uh, in northern Alberta, way north of Edmonton. Uh, for troubled teens, and uh, so I have fond memories as a kid growing up kind of at camp in the summers. Um, lived most of my life in Edmonton, and then we moved to a small town in Saskatchewan uh, called Eston, where there was a Bible college, and my dad taught there for a little bit, uh, then became the pastor, 
And sort of grew up in the church, kind of your typical, I would say, church kid. Uh, all in with uh, Sunday school and youth group and summer camps. Uh, did a couple years of Bible college right after high school, mostly because I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, and it seemed like a good idea. Um, but it was a really good experience, and so I ended up uh, moving to Vancouver, uh, and I interned at a church there for about a year, I think, um, and then went to university there. And the beginning of university was kind of my, my I guess you'd say, journey uh, into being, becoming what, what you'd call a prodigal. Uh, I really ran away from God, um, really lived an unhealthy, an, un- unhe- an unhealthy life, and it was really a, about a seven-year downward spiral and kind of hit the bottom in life. And I realized that I had two choices. I could either continue on the path that I was, ending probably in, you know, it wasn't a good ending, or I needed to find my way back to God. And that kind of began uh, really probably the most profound season in my life where I just, a broken man, found my, found my way back to God and into the church. And uh, it, it was definitely some of the hardest time in my life, but I, I look back on it and just see the hand of God and the grace of God in my life and just his forgiveness, his love, and kind of found a, a new lease on life, a new sense of mission. And kind of on a whim, uh, I had a really good job and, you know, life was quote-unquote good, um, but I ended up uh, going to the Philippines kind of on a whim. I had some friends there who were missionaries, and uh, I was just going to go and spend a few months with them, I thought, and as soon as I got there, God just captured my heart, and and I kind of found, I guess, my meaning in life. I wanted to help people. I wanted to serve God, and so we ended up, Liz and I ended up meeting there. Uh, She was working for the same missions organization. And uh, uh, we were there for about five years together. Our oldest son was born there. And then we came back to Canada. Uh, I wanted to sort of upgrade myself and get a bit more training, so I attended Briarcrest Seminary in Karenport. There's a few connections here uh, to that school. Uh, I got my master's degree in counseling. And the plan was that we were going to go back uh, to the mission field somewhere, maybe the Philippines, maybe somewhere else. But it seemed no matter what we tried, it was just... Either something would happen or it wouldn't work out or it was just kind of one of those proverbial red lights from God. It's like, that's, that's not the way I want you to go. And so we were kind of, kind of confused, wondering, what, God, what are you, what's going on here? Like, we thought we were going back to the mission field. Uh, and I wasn't going to say this, I didn't have it in my notes, but there was one night I had finished my degree. Um, I was working at a dairy uh, almost full-time and really had no, no future plans. God just kept closing the door for us, and I was chasing up the last group of cows one night in the dairy, and the last group was all, we called them the cranky ones, because they were the ones who didn't, never wanted to get into the parlor, and, and so I'm chasing them up, and we weren't allowed to use the, whatever the zappy things are called, but we had these like sort of plastic canes, and I remember probably hitting the cows a little too hard, and having this fairly loud conversation with God, like, God, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you not opening the door for us. It just seems we've hit a dead end. Um, Thankfully, God listens to those kind of prayers too. And it wasn't long. A small church in Saskatchewan called us and said, would you consider coming to pastor? And honestly, it wasn't really on my radar. It wasn't something I was looking looking for, but I thought, well, we'll we'll go anyway. So we candidated there and felt kind of like this weekend in a way. 
uh, just kind of uncertain, kind of nervous, um, but it became really clear that that was God's plan for us to go there. And so we've been pastoring there the last eight and a half years. And uh, I'd say the last year and a half, for sure, we've kind of felt God saying, maybe it's time to move on. And so we've been exploring. And I sent a random email uh, to someone here at some point. I think I saw the ad on Indeed or something like that. And so the conversation had just begun, and, and here we are. And I would say we're just open to uh, one of my friends who's a missionary in Cambodia. He has a blog. It's called Whatever Lord. And I guess that's kind of my stance right now. God, whatever your plan is, like, we're here. Would you just lead us? And I just pray that for you guys, that God would lead you. Um, so here we go. I'm going to be speaking from uh, Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. If you wanted to uh, put a finger in there or turn there while I talk for the next few minutes, but we'll get there in just a moment. My message this morning for you is a compass for uncertain times. And as I've kind of shared this morning, uh, I feel like I'm in an uncertain time. Um, For lots of life, I've kind of, mostly I feel... I know what to do, I know the path to take, I know where I'm going, I've kind of got things figured out. But the last year and a half or so for us uh, as a family, especially for Liz and I, it just felt really uncertain. Um, And I I don't feel like I have a clear idea of what's next. It it feels like life is kind of uh, topsy-turvy. And I kind of wondered if this is where KZMC is at this time. You don't have a pastor right now. Uh, It sounds like you're, what was it, you're sifting, you're sitting. What was this? What were you doing? Sit, sift, and consider. Sit, sift, and consider. There's some uncertainty in the future. Um, And even if you had a pastor, I think like any other church in Canada, post-COVID has left us with lots of question marks. I don't know how you guys fared through COVID, but our church and lots of the churches that I know in our area, um, we kind of weathered COVID, but after, it's kind of left us wondering, like, are we actually doing things the way that we should? Um, Because it seemed like COVID was just enough of a breeze that it kind of knocked the house down a little bit. And we're kind of left, maybe we need to rethink some things. And it it feels very uncertain going forward. But maybe just in your own personal life, you're looking at the future and you're thinking, man, there's some decisions I've got to make. There's some things going on. Things don't feel as solid and as certain as I I wish they were. There's some fear. There's some anxiety over something. There's some decisions to make. Life can feel uncertain at times. We look forward and we're like, God, I, I don't see the path. The path seems very winding and unclear at this point. Recently, I was reading Micah chapter 6, and we'll get into it in a moment. But the Israelites were facing... Tough times, uncertain times. Granted, if you read the book of Micah, what they were facing was kind of their own fault. Um, We'll talk about it in a moment, but they were not following God as they should, and so there was some judgment coming upon them. They were facing uncertainty. They were floundering. Um, Things were not going as they planned. And as I read Micah chapter 6 a few weeks ago, I realized that there was some similarities between the way I often respond to God in times of uncertainty and and their response to God through their struggles. I noticed that 
when I'm in times of uncertainty, something shifts in my heart in my relating to God quite often. I, I start to turn things into this bargaining contract where I try to appease God. Maybe I try to double down on my Bible reading or my prayer, or now I'm, I'm really going to get serious now about my spiritual walk, or I'm going to really get serious about confessing sin and walking in, in you know, holiness. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but something shifts when I turn it into this contract. You know, God, if, if I do these things, you're going to answer, right? You're going to give me what I want. And God is not a genie in a bottle where we get to, to rub the, the bottle or the lamp. It's not a bottle, a lamp, you know, and the genie comes out. All right, now I get my three wishes from God. That's not how it works. But it seems that times of uncertainty often drive us to that kind of bargaining with God. And that's not what we want. That's not what he wants. That's not how he wants to deal with us. It can be hard for us to see, but I, I, I'll wager that many of us do something very similar when our backs are against the wall. We try to get out from God what we want. And Micah chapter 6, particularly verse 8, which we'll talk about in just a moment, I really think gives us a compass for how we ought to act, how we ought to relate to God in those times. So I hope this morning that you'll hear my heart and that you'll, you'll hear something that will give you a compass for, for times very similar. What, before we read, would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, I just, I asked this morning, Lord, that you would guide my thoughts, that you would guide my words. Lord, I pray that uh, these dear people here, Lord, that they would hear your voice. God, that you would speak to them, that you would strengthen them, encourage them. And Lord, anything I say this morning that's just, that's just Dave talking, I pray that it would just fall to the ground. And Lord, I just ask that your, your words would go forth. God, we look to you this morning. Would you speak to us? Would you use your word, Lord? May it be living and active in our hearts and minds today. May it speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So Micah chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 to 8. And it helps to, to look at this, these few verses and kind of know who's talking. And you have to read it several times to kind of get a sense, because there's several, there's several different voices here speaking. It's not just one speaker. There's three, there's three people speaking. Micah is speaking. And if it helps, you can picture Micah as kind of like, a, maybe like a bailiff, or maybe like a, a, a courtroom assistant. Um, God is speaking, and you can think of him as the plaintiff. He is the one making the accusation. And then the Israelites, they're, they're, they're the defendant. They're being uh, accused of something, and then they're trying to defend themselves. Now, I won't try to get too crazy and creative and change my voice, but I will try to let you know who's, who's talking, because it helps to kind of know who's speaking. But if you read it all at once, thinking it's the same speaker, it seems kind of disjointed. It doesn't really make sense. So um, maybe I'll just try to stand in, in different places or something. I don't know. But that'll probably just, I'll mess that up, and then you'll be really confused. Um, but let's start by reading Micah chapter 6, verse 1. Um, and it begins with Micah saying the first phrase here. 
Micah says, listen to what the Lord says. And the rest of this verse is God speaking. He says, stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. And then Micah speaks again. He says, hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. So Micah summons the mountains to hear. And it's just a picture of, of God's creation, something that has been there through all the Israelites' journey. The mountains would have witnessed all of God's dealings, his covenants, his, his promises to them, and seen God's faithfulness. So he's saying, all right, mountains, you're kind of the witness. I need you to uh, be on my side here. Then, then God speaks again. God says this in verse 3, my people, and notice the endearing language, my people, my dear ones, my children, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. So if you read, you can read this later, if you read in verses 9 to 16, God kind of lays out his accusations to his people. Uh, they'd, they'd been greedy. They had, they had dishonest scales. So they were not being fair. They were not being honest. They were, they were living in sin. They, were, they had idols. They were committing adult, uh, adultery, idolatry. They were deceitful. And God's saying, what have I done to you? that you treat me like this. How have I burdened you? Answer me. You can hear the angst in God's voice. My people, why are you doing this to me? How have I burdened you? Continuing in verse four, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, Again, this language, my people. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. You can look this up later. Read the story about Balaam. Read how God intervened. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. And that's when they crossed the Jordan. That's when they finally entered the promised land. Remember all these incredible things that I have done that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So God's imploring them, remember my grace to you. Remember all these incredible things that I've done. How can you treat me like this? Turn back to me. Come back. And then Israel speaks. They're defending themselves. And this, listen to what they say. Starting in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord? Notice how they speak to God. With what shall I come before the Lord? He started with my people. Their response sounds a little less um, endearing. It's kind of like distancing language. Well, what, with what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And you notice the escalation in their, in their wonderings. Like, what does God want? What does he want from us? What, what do we need to give him that he'll, he'll stop this, that, that he'll give us what he wants? What can I do to make this God happy? Now, we, remember, Israel is in a time of uncertainty. They're in a time of brokenness, of judgment. And it was their own making. There's no denial. But as I think about this, truth be told, most of the times in my life when I'm kind of, my back's up against the wall or things aren't going as planned, not always, but many times, guess who's probably the one who's got me there? Me. I make mistakes too. And I bring myself in times that are, that are difficult and challenging. But their posture was not one of, of, of drawing close to God, not one of, of just leaning on God. It was like, well, what do you want? What do you want us to do? Do you want us to sacrifice thousands of rams, um, rivers of olive oil? Shall we offer our own children? How can we possibly please this God? How do we make him happy? And one of the, one of the um, commentaries that I read said that Israel had shifted from a covenant relationship with God and they turned it into a contract. And they thought, well, if we could just figure out what we needed to pay God, what we needed to do, he'll give us what we want and we can kind of go on our way. And I'll be honest with you, many times when I'm in a similar situation, when my back's against the wall, when things seem tough or impossible, I tend to do the same thing. I tend to kind of double down on what I think God wants, whether it's maybe praying more or reading my Bible more or really trying to deal with sin or really trying to live a holy life. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying those things are wrong. We're actually called to do those things. But my heart is not right. My heart is, I'll give you what you need, you give me what I want. And God doesn't want that. He wants to walk in relationship with me. He wants to walk in covenant with me. Right? Contracts are something that we can break. Contracts are about, I'll give you A, you give me B. And if we decide to break it, whatever, I'll make a contract with someone else. But a covenant is something that's not breakable. It's relational. A marriage is a covenant. Right? It's not a contract. Till death do us part, for better or for worse. That's how God wants to relate to us. It's a covenant. I've promised to never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you. I've given my very, my son, I've given my life for you. I want to walk with you. God doesn't want us to walk in contract. He wants us to walk in covenant. If there's any way that we could scoff at grace, which is a gift, God's grace to us is a gift. 
He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And when we invite him in, we receive God's gift of salvation. It is a gift of grace. It's nothing, we didn't pay for it. We don't earn it. We never get to pay it back. We can't. It's a gift of grace. But if there's one way to scoff at grace and to cheapen it, it's to say, well, how much do I need to pay? It would be ridiculous if a child said to his mom, Mom, how much do I owe you for taking care of me this week, this month, this year? Some of you are probably saying, I wish my kid would ask me how much they owe. But as a mom, wouldn't that cheapen the love that you have for your child? It's not about getting anything back. Moms will do anything for their kids. They don't need a contract. It's a covenant. No matter what that child does, it is yours. You will love it and care for it. We cheapen grace if we turn it into a contract. When we were living in the Philippines, uh, we lived in Davao City, which is in the south, and we lived in a, a very poor area. And there were many cases of cleft palate um, and then other things because of developmental in, in the womb. Uh, one of them was very common was hydrocephalos, where the, the, something to do with the brain barrier doesn't seal right and brain fluid and stuff grows outside and, you know, swollen heads and large growths on the forehead. And by God's grace, we were able to help uh, many of these kids. Uh, there was an organization called Operation Smile that we worked with quite a bit. Um, and we were able to help one boy in particular who had just a severe uh, deformity on his forehead. And it's an incredible story. It's just to see, we still see him now on Facebook and pictures of him just to see him now. It's just an incredible story of God's goodness in his life. Um, but there was another lady who had a, a child who had a very similar uh, a situation, just a large growth on his forehead. And uh, we were able to partner with some Filipino doctors there who gave of their time freely. Um, we were able to raise uh, significant amounts of money, and we were just able to help pay for surgeries and get them done uh, for families who just, there's no way they could pay for it. I mean, it just, they would work the rest of their lives and not be able to pay for it. Just, unfortunately, that's just the way the system works there. And so we had this one lady come, uh, bring her child in, and uh, we said, yeah, we can help you. Uh, let's go meet with a doctor. Uh, we'll start setting up some appointments, and um, we want to help you. And so I, I took her and, and the little boy uh, to this uh, neurosurgeon that we knew. Uh, his name was Dr. Nazarino, an amazing man, incredible guy who just freely gave of his time to help these people. And so we were meeting with him, and he examined the boy and said, yes, we can do it. The crazy thing is, is his brother was a plastic surgeon. So, I mean, it was just like we had these two guys in our back pocket. Um, they, could, they were amazing. And uh, so we met with the, the doctor, and he examined the boy and said, yes, we can do it. Um, and then I don't exactly know what happened. Um, I was fairly fluent at the time, but their conversation just took off, and I couldn't keep up. Um, but something happened in their conversation where she started to ask, how much does it cost? And 
And he said, ma'am, like, there is no cost for you. This is, this is a gift. We've raised money. My brother and I are going to volunteer our time. We're doing this because we want to help. And she kept going back to, well, how much does it cost? How much do I owe you? Um, and eventually it got to the point where this doctor started to get agitated. And he said, ma'am, you literally could not afford it. And he didn't say that to be mean or to look down. Or he said, ma'am, like, don't worry about that. We want to help. And she kept going back. Well, how much does it cost? How much do I owe you? And unfortunately, she left that office that day without getting help. She didn't want help from us. I hope and pray that she found help somewhere else. But she could not receive the gift because she wanted to pay back. She wanted to know what was the, what's the contract here. And for us, it wasn't a contract. It was a gift we wanted to offer her. In the same way, Jesus offers us a gift. God offers us grace. It's not a contract. He's not waiting for us. All right, Dave, you need to pay me. The count's not full here. It's not how it works with God. But unfortunately, our insistence sometimes to pay or repay him somehow can be a barrier. But there's no price on grace. There's no price when a covenant is involved. All we need to do is keep our side of the covenant. And I wonder why is it hard for us to receive grace sometimes? Pride, perhaps? We think... We're prideful. We don't want anything for free. We want to do it ourselves. We want to do it my way. What's that song? I did it my way. Like we, right? We want to do things our way. Doesn't how, that's not how God works. Maybe we want credit. Maybe we're fearful. If I just let go and trust God, is He going to take care of me? Don't I have to keep doing something? to keep his favor. And maybe there's some of us at times, if we thought about it and looked deep down in our hearts, we think, maybe I don't deserve God's grace. But something can get in the way. So what is our side of the covenant? What ought we to do? In view of God's grace, what's my side of the bargain? What's my side of the covenant? What should my response to God's grace be in times of uncertainty? I think verse 8 is, is the compass we're looking for. And again, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying for a moment that we ought not to press in, to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness, to dig into the Word of God on a daily basis and spend time in prayer and serve and give in our church. Don't hear me saying that we just sit back on the couch and receive. We ought to do those things, not as payment to get what we want, but out of response to God's incredible grace to us. So when God says to us, my people, our response is not, what shall I do? What shall I come before the Lord with? But our response would be, my God my Savior, 
That ought to be our response. I want to finish reading Micah 6, verse 8. But before I do that, I want to give you something. I've got, I think I've got 100 of these. Could I get a couple of volunteers to hand them out? Greg, thanks for that hand. Appreciate that. <laughs> Somebody else over here want to help me? I think there's 100, so maybe couples just take one. Make sure there's enough for everybody. But I wanted to give you something that you can take home, stick in your Bible, maybe stick it on your fridge, stick it in your wallet, just a picture of a compass on one side, and on the other side is Micah 6, verse 8, which I think is, is a compass in times of uncertainty. And we'll talk about it in just a moment. I'll let, you, I'll let them hand it out. So this will be the memory verse for next week. <laughs> so whoever is preaching, everyone needs to stand in line and say this. And it'll be live so I can watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has everybody got one? All right. So it's Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you... O mortal. Some translations say, O man. I like when it says, O mortal. Let's be reminded that we're just mortal. God is eternal. He has shown you, O mortal. Oh, thanks. If somebody wants another one, I'll just leave these up here. You can collect, collect them all. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly. Do the right thing. Be honest. Be truthful. Be fair. Don't cheat on your taxes. Just do the right thing. Act with justice. Why does he want us to do that? Because that, those are the things that God does. That's what he does. Be with me. Come and do the things that I do. Come walk with me. Love mercy. Mercy is costly, isn't it? Anytime you show mercy to somebody, it costs. But that's what God did for us. And he says, be like me. Love mercy. Do the things that I do. Because that's where I am. And the last one, I think, perhaps the most important for us today. Walk humbly with your God. Don't get stuck in a contract. Walk in the covenant with him. A covenant is about relationship. It's about closeness. I used to always think the word humbly was the most important. But I think actually the most important word in that phrase, walk. Walk with him. 
Walk with your God. Allow him to walk with you in times of uncertainty. Don't worry about appeasing him. Don't worry about finding favor with him. That's then taken care of. Your account is, is clear. When God looks at you, you know what he sees? The righteousness of his son, Jesus. You don't need to appease him. You just need to walk with him. So walk humbly with your God. So I would say to you, if in your personal life you're having some struggles, times feel uncertain, I would just say to you this, walk with your God. Walk with him. Don't try and pay him off or appease him. Just walk with him. And to you, this church body as a whole, I've grown up as a pastor's kid. I know that pastoral transitions and church trials, I guess you'd call them, or struggles, they can be difficult. It can be fearful. It can be hard. But I would say to you as a congregation, walk with God. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's got you. A compass in uncertain times. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Can I pray with you? Would you stand and I could just pray with you this morning? Like I said, I'll just leave these up here. If anybody wants, wants another one, give to somebody. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this dear body of believers. I ask God that you would lead and guide them. I ask God for your favor to be upon them. Lord, would you help them to just walk with you. And for anyone here this morning, God, who is just in a time of of great fear or anxiety, where the path does not seem clear, maybe the path ahead looks foggy, maybe there's a fork in the road, they don't know whether to turn left or right, God, help them just to lean on you. Help them to walk with you. Help them to be aware of your presence. May they walk in security, knowing, Lord, that their salvation is secure, that you promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Would you walk with them? Bless the rest of our morning together, Lord, and may may you just guide all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.